Welcome to another episode of the Queen's Management School Good Business Podcast. My name is Laura Steele and I'm a lecturer in business and society within the school. The aim of the podcast is to go beyond the bottom line and examine the ethical, social and environmental responsibilities of businesses. And in this episode, we'll be focusing on the tea industry. The global tea industry is big business, worth approximately 49 billion US dollars in 2017, with predictions that this is set to rise to over 73 billion dollars by 2024. According to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, the anticipated increase is being driven by robust demand in both developing and emerging countries, as well as growing evidence of the health and wellness benefits of the beverage. The FAO suggests this will create new rural income opportunities and improve food security in tea-producing countries. But could there be serious trouble brewing in terms of ethics and corporate social responsibility? There have long been concerns around these issues within the tea industry, with reports of very poor pay, child labour and appalling working conditions, among other issues. For example, an investigation by the BBC in 2015 revealed that tea workers in Assam, northeast India, were subjected to dangerous and degrading living and working conditions. Examples were cited of cesspits overflowing into homes, poor or absent toilet facilities and a lack of fresh, clean drinking water. Such as the extent of the deprivation, many tea workers and their families were found to be malnourished and vulnerable to fatal illness. The plantations investigated supplied some of the UK's biggest brands, such as Tetley and Twinings, who subsequently announced they would strive to improve the suppliers they purchased from. Perhaps more shockingly, they were all certified by the Rainforest Alliance, an NGO dedicated to ensuring sustainable livelihoods. This led to the organisation admitting that they were, there were issues within their auditing process. So has the time come for the industry to turn over a new leaf? One business attempting to balance growth opportunities with high ethical standards is Boutique Loose Leaf Blender Suki Tea. Founded in 2005 by business partners Annie Irwin and Oscar Woolley, Suki Tea has grown to become a strong contender in the UK's loose leaf tea market. And today I'm delighted that Annie has joined me to discuss these issues. Annie, thank you for agreeing to take part in the podcast. So firstly, for anybody who's not familiar with Suki Tea, how would you describe the business? We are a tea company, a loose leaf tea company, also known as Orthodox Leaf, um, when you talk about loose leaf tea. Um, so uh, when we started Suki Tea, we, were, we wanted to go back to quality, provenance, variety, uh, range, and, um, and we started the business in 2004, uh, Belfast-based business at St George's Market, um, with very little in terms of... Uh, of business setup um and uh and we took it from there with a small range about 20 kilos and uh it was all very ad hoc hitting the the music festivals uh, around ireland uh and different uh, specialty markets and that's where we tested our market and we've since built up the business um we still trade at st george's market in belfast but majority of our business now would be through um the food service industry throughout the uk and ireland but we also export through distributors to over 16 countries around the world and retailing online is a major focus for our business as well where we can reach a global community of tea drinkers where did that spark come from were you a big tea drinker yourself I um I took a different path in life so I uh, after finishing Queen's University at uh, and graduating in social anthropology uh, I wanted to go off on my travels and ended up in Asia teaching English 
And it was there that I actually fell in love uh, with the tea because the choice, the variety, the ritual, um, the quality, uh, the, uh, you had the options, the green, the black, the jasmine, you know, the white uh, and the, the, the choices there and the ritual over the serve. Um, it was just fantastic. And then you come home to Ireland and Northern Ireland and we're supposed to be a nation of tea drinkers over um, six cups per day per capita. And we don't know the quality or the provenance um, of what we're drinking. So uh, what myself and Oscar, when we started the business, um, we wanted to bring that quality, choice, range, provenance and ritual back into tea. The way co the coffee industry experienced that revolution in the 80s, we thought it was time for tea. So it's actually not that far apart. Whenever you think about your past career mm -hmm. um, in anthropology and sociology, that actually yeah. there's so much of that within tea. There's bound to be few things that we consume that have that level of history and that amount of, of ritual associated with them. Yes, that's right. I mean, tea, um, I mean, the legends go back to over 5,000 years ago. Um, you know, and you think about a time when and the pharaohs ruled Egypt, you know, that's when tea was uh, discovered, if you like, uh, in China. Um, there are so many legends associated it, but it was adopted, uh, you know, by Buddhist monks um, for that sort of Zen-like quality, those uplifting qualities, medicinal qualities. And, you know, a herb, a plant that would give, you know, that focus of mind and that refreshment as well. Um, so that was the, the origins of the usage of tea. Um, I think I need to tea, treat it with a lot more respect now when I think about yes. the sometimes the sub-quality bags that I pull out and prop into my cup, given the fact that it has so much history and it supports actually so many jobs around the world. I think I maybe need to think about it a little bit differently in future. So how did you go from starting on the market stall to growing it into a business that that uh, moves out into 16 different countries? Well, we went to our first um, trade fair down in Dublin and the um, barista sponsorship, who was the, like the world barista championships were happening at the time at, at this trade fair and the sponsorship uh, uh, company there um, noticed Suki, noticed Oscar and I and our range um, I think at that time we still had handwritten bags and um, we had like no money for investment in terms of signage or, or stand display so we just um, wrote a sign borrowed a marker, wrote a sign would you serve instant coffee you know, and it was all about getting back to uh, the quality and provenance of the product um, so through that um, chance meeting, we developed a relationship um, with this distributor um, who has taken us to uh, different levels in terms of thousands of cafes, you know, quality cafes, cafes focusing on um, upping their game um, throughout the UK and Ireland and then uh, abroad as well. Do you have a mission or a vision for the business going forward? Well, we exist to build a global community of loose leaf tea drinkers and that would be an appreciation society of the ritual of a great tasting but honest cuppa. Uh, and our focus when creating that mission statement, you know, our focus was on, well, how do we introduce our ethical trading and our ethical stance um, into our mission statement? And it, 
it became all about the cuppa and the honest cuppa and you know it translates into how we do business as well. Because something that really struck me whenever I was reading into the history of the business is a comment that you made that you're looking at what Suki Tea is going to be over the next hundred years and I hate to break it to you but I think there's a good chance we won't be here in a hundred years time. (laughs) So really you're very much future focused. Do you think that attitude shapes your decision making that it's not just about short term profits but the long term viability of the company? I think it does. I mean, we're already uh, a well-recognised and renowned, certainly in the UK and Ireland. Um, you know, we punch well above our weight. Uh, and as a small Belfast-based company, uh, I think our name has travelled um, far and wide. Um, but also for um, doing business the right way as well. And it was very important for us um, from from day one. Uh, and I think when you talk about a long-term vision of where you want Suki Tea to be in a hundred years, yes, we may not be around, but I want our business to be, and I want the, um, you know, the, the the ethical trading and you know the core of the business and uh, you know uh, how we built it up to continue through those generations of the business or you know the the changes that it that it goes through we're now in our teenage years we're growing up a little bit uh, we're still on a great adventure uh, but it's very important for us to to be proud uh, i think that's another word that, that probably should be in our mission statement and vision it's um uh, the pride that we feel of not just our product but our team the way that we source our product, um, the quality uh, and and our network and the way that we that we do business on a daily basis. And people want to work for organisations that they feel proud of, that when they tell their friends, their family, who they work for, that they get a positive response. Yes, and that's um, always something that I don't think we have to instill in our team at, at, uh, in Belfast, but uh, it is something that um, we get feedback from them uh, as well, going, I work for Suki Tea. <laughs> so what does social responsibility mean at Suki Tea? We, we look at it really uh, in sort of concentric circles. So, you know, we've got our, our team, the first circle, uh, is our team and what can we do to uh, create a learning and development environment to give everybody the opportunity um, to come up through the business and to excel. Um, we don't hold back on investment in training and development um, and we encourage you know engagement you know with uh, and our charitable um, associations that we may have and just to try and gain that sort of team uh, unity and and effort and ethos and culture uh, of of what we uh, aspire to be at Suki. Because I noticed that you're involved in CSR activities both locally and also internationally. Could you tell me a little bit more about some of the things that you've done? Certainly locally, we've just at the weekend, we did a a dragon boat race for the charity Aware NI and um, as we were uh, sort of we were examining um, our our own company and our own product, and we thought obviously health um, is high in everybody's considerations and and mental health, and tea has got very calming properties, 
uh, and when you bring the ritual in to actually take time out to have a proper um, break and a cup of tea it's very refreshing it's uh, it's all about conversation it has a lot has a lot more going for it it's almost than... like a meditation exactly yeah and a way to unwind and a way to to converse and um uh, socialize so and bring people bring together, together. yes uh-huh. we've also done some things internationally as well haven't you yes um we work with um a program in rwanda um sorwati tea gardens and uh, they have a fantastic program uh, it's a tea garden that we purchase a lot of tea from that goes into our belfast brew blend and also our uh, english breakfast blend and partly in our Earl Grey as well. So there are three top sellers. So um, they'd be a primary supplier of ours. Um, they are fair trade certified uh, garden, but we also, we, we go out and visit regularly and they have this program called One Cup of Porridge, um, where every year they open uh, a new uh, preschool um, which allows, you know, um, a lot of the maybe the mothers working on the tea plantations to to know that their children are, are safe and having a cup of, uh, you know, a cup of fortified porridge in the morning and having some schooling and everything as well. So they open one of those every year and they provide a cup of porridge every morning um, for these hundreds of, of, of children, not just tea plantation, but actually the wider community as well. Um, so we would contribute to that to their uh, that's their program and we just assist and there's some lovely stuff actually on your website Mm -hmm. about that particular program if anybody wanted to go on and and have a look because certainly I find it really interesting to read about and actually see images of what is happening in practice there yes and it's really certainly lovely to see the organization giving back and supporting those communities particularly as we've seen there have been some really quite serious concerns about human rights abuses and about the way people are treated on some of the tea plantations would you say that ethics and social responsibilities have been factors in your decision making from the outset back to the days when suki tea was still in its infancy um, yes, now it's certainly something that we've got to learn a lot about, uh, especially through source visits to regions, as you mentioned, like Assam in India or East Africa, um, more recently to Sri Lanka, um, Japan, you know, countries where there is no need for fair trade, for example, in Japan. Um, it's it's a first world country and um a lot of people drive to the tea gardens in their four by four. Um, but ultimately, you know, what you would love to see is a world where fair trade is not actually required. That certification system or that auditing, that level of auditing, that it doesn't actually exist. But unfortunately, we're still, as as you quoted at the, the beginning of the podcast, we're still in the position where it is required and there should be more of it. Yes, absolutely. And I was particularly keen to ask you about that because sometimes whenever I am speaking with budding entrepreneurs and I ask them about how important ethics or social responsibility is, they tell me that it's really far down on their list of priorities that the first thing they need to do is start generating revenue, making a profit. But then, as you pointed out, there is this secondary issue that sometimes we don't actually learn about the ethics or the CSR issues until we're quite far along in the process. Well, we were certainly very early days um, when we b- became registered um, with 
bodies like fair trade, rainforest and organic. Um, so we would have annual audits in that uh, in that respect. Um, and and then we we learned very fast what they were all about and how um, important they were for us, because when we started, you know, a loose leaf tea business, Typically, people in the tea industry, they might have spent a year out in India uh, or, you know, within tea gardens and tea tasting rooms and auction sites learning about um, the the whole trade, the business. Um, but we didn't have that opportunity. Um, we were starting in Belfast at St George's Market. Um, so it was only through um, the source visits and um, and the, you know gaining that knowledge on these accredited bodies and how we could hold ourselves up to their high uh, high levels of auditing um, that we thought that if we don't have that experience on the ground and we don't have that opportunity to have it as you know young startups, um then uh then this would be another way of of m- moving towards a business that we were comfortable and happy and in the knowledge that you know you were you were doing the right thing and trading well and uh you had that higher body accrediting um the sourcing that you that you're doing so actually i'd never really thought about that side of it that they can be really useful in terms of making you aware of issues within the industry and perhaps fight providing some level of guidance on how to approach or address them so many people think of them as being an endorsement that you get at the end of the process when actually they're also really valuable in terms of an educational tool particularly for young businesses Yes, we found them very much so, and we would have invited them. Uh, you know, for example, Fair Trade Foundation. We invited them over from London. You know, to speak to our team, to educate us, to give presentations on tea in particular. Um, we became <clears throat> members of the Belfast Fair Trade Committee, and more recently, Newry and Morn um, Fair Trade Committee as well. And. Um, We just, we want to be that business that can spread the word about it and not just have the stamp on the pack because that's not what we're about. And you can also then transfer your learning to other organisations here maybe earlier on in that particular process. What are the main ethical and social responsibilities issues in the tea industry today from both your broad knowledge but also your personal experience of it what would you be concerned about or what areas does Suki focus on in particular well I think as you highlighted there is almost a cycle of poverty um, that exists on certain tea plantations certain areas um, around the world and um, this will never stop um, until you know we have uh, for example, in the UK, we've got supermarket wars. We have tea priced so low um, that it's a throwaway commodity. I mean, if if consumers, for example, here in the UK and Ireland are are content to buy uh, a cup of tea or you know a half a pe- half a penny for a tea bag or a penny, um, there's never going to be anything in that for the tea picker. And this is where, you know, tea prices and, you know, that that everyday, everyday commodities, um, it has been driven down so low and the quality has been driven down so low 
uh, and none of that reaches the the tea pluckers on the farms. That's where and there's constant cycle of poverty. Um, so I think there, <clears throat> there's quite a lot um, that contributes um, to this, and it it is accreditations like Fair Trade um, who put that investment back into the community um that where you can actually see a difference or you hear about the differences when you visit and the improvements that have been made um from from then to now and that's not to say a lot of tea gardens would you know or management would not have done that investment or work anyway and that's that's where it's difficult to understand sometimes um so a lot of the 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 garden managers go oh we were planning to do this anyway but the fair trade money's there now you know there's there's a kind of fine balance yes. between um between how it's working or not working uh, but certainly when you speak to the tea pickers on the ground they absolutely love it and they say that it has so much enhanced their lives from their children's education and to um, uh, gender equality uh, and, you know, rules around working and, you know, length of days, fair minimum wage um, and then the the premium that's paid per kilo of tea as well that goes direct to, uh, to them for, uh, as a committee, they can then democratically decide what do we want to do with this, not with the managers or the yes. owners' interference. Um, but as a, as a community, they have that ownership. So it sounds like those accreditations might be imperfect in some ways, but they have huge value. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if they weren't there, possibly a lot of this stuff would simply not be happening. And whilst or it wouldn't happen as fast. Yeah. That it can be a great mm-hmm. driver then in terms yeah. of bringing about change mm-hmm. more quickly. Mm-hmm. What... I hear huge echoes of is the fast fashion industry actually because I've, I've been reading a lot about that recently and we mm-hmm. had a blog post on it with students conducting assessments on fast fashion mm-hmm. and there were so many of the same issues present about the quality in that case the quality of the garments the price of being charged from them and the fact that what consumers are paying doesn't really reflect the cost of them and the people that suffer from most are those at the end of the supply chain yes. who are being paid terrible terrible wages being treated abysmally Mm -hmm. and often having their health and safety um, infringed as a result of what is happening so it makes me think that as consumers we have a significant role to play we do and i don't think things are going to change unless consumer behavior changes um it's one thing we really focus on at suki tea in terms of especially for our internet marketing or you know maybe point of sales that we put in the cafes you know um ethical trading and ethics is is quite low down on consumer uh choice they're looking for the quality the province the health um, the 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 variety uh, those those factors would be uh, higher than um, knowledge on the ethical uh, trading side of things but I think that is all going to shift especially you know with um, everybody has become a climate change export expert for example um, and I think that will that will trigger off um, quite a wave I hope of um, knowing about where your product comes from and uh, and who is affected by how it's produced. Um, if a, cl- a piece of clothing is too cheap, you know, to be true, then you need to question it. 
and the same with the tea bags in your supermarket. I Why think- am I paying a penny for this? Yes. It reminds me recently of the story of the one pound bikini that was in the news that a particular high street, an online retailer, started offering a bikini at a pound. They said it was for promotional purposes, but there was a huge backlash to it. And I think that maybe five or ten years ago that might have happened to the same extent. But people are now, I think, starting to wake up to that question. Well, why is this so cheap and who is paying the true cost of it? Mm -hmm. So you spent obviously a significant amount of time out in some of the countries where you purchase uh, your tea from. Has that been valuable for you in terms of now seeing how things work on the ground? It has indeed. Um, And you learn a lot with every visit. Um, I think um, one of the the main things that struck me on a recent source visit in Sri Lanka, um, we went to... uh, uh, a very sort of low scale operation, high quality, um, way up in the in the high mountains uh, in Sri Lanka, and it was uh, a fair trade, uh, biodynamic, uh, bio organic farm, um, and also Rainforest Alliance. But I have never seen happier tea workers, <laughs> and they were just delighted to have us in the factory. And what they were producing was absolutely out of this world. And then on the same day, we went down to um, the lowlands and we went to a massive factory. And uh, I just felt that there was uh, a bit more misery there. (laughs) Right. So it was very interesting. You saw in quite quick succession two very different Mm -hmm. experiences in terms of of what the employees were able um, able to experience. Yes. And what would you say, what was the difference between, in terms of what was driving that difference? Was it in the smaller, um, in the smaller plantation that, that there was better treatment all around better? Was it, was it monetary or was it other factors do you think played a role in that? I think it was more the culture so that if the garden themselves and the management have invested, um, in in their workers and uh, uh, invested in systems and and audits like uh, our accredited bodies um like fair trade um and organic um they're they're bringing their tea their plantation and their workers up to another level uh, and i think that culture um will ultimately breed happiness as well yeah. absolutely And is there any advice or guidance you could offer to somebody who wants to become an ethical and socially responsible entrepreneur? What have you learned in the last 14 years that you could pass on in terms of wisdom? I think um, it's obviously important to, when we talk about Suki Tea in the next 100 years, that we want a sustainable business model, not just in our sourcing or our team culture, but obviously there has to be profits there. Um, but uh, a lot of our businesses, you know, would have been driven by greed, uh, primarily on the on management level, and uh, and I I would suggest that if you're starting a business, um, that as long as you're happy going to sleep at night, you know where your product is from, and that you content that if that was your child, that they, you know they would be. Um, working or growing up in those conditions and have opportunities um, for the future uh, and not be caught in a, in a cycle of poverty. Um, we can't, as businesses uh, in 
developed countries um, contribute to that, uh, it's it you know it should not happen. And then we have a significant role to play in terms of collaborating with the likes of those accrediting bodies with other mm-hmm. businesses, even with the likes of academia, to yes. try and really understand how these problems are arising and, and what ways we can tackle them. Finally, Annie, at the end of each podcast, I ask every guest the same question. What do you think it means to be a good business today, either generally or from the perspective of the tea industry? I think to be a good business, you you know, you can have all the policies, procedures, systems in place, but it's actually uh, about your culture and ensuring that your your culture is right um, and that you have a pride um, yourself as a business owner and also that that um, is is reflected on the team and the network um, that you, you work with through your um, distribution network suppliers uh, and sourcing as well. So it's all about um, pride, doing business right. And sending and a signal. responsible. <laughs> yeah, sending a signal not just to your employees, but also very importantly to the people that you're working with, that this is the type of organisation that we are. And if you want to do business with us, then you need to live by our values. Yes, exactly. Annie, thank you for agreeing to take part today. And thank you to the audience for listening. For more information on the Good Business podcast and our other work related to ethics, responsibility and sustainability, you can follow us on Twitter at QUB Ethics or drop me an email at ers at qub.ac.uk. I think it's time to go and put the kettle on now after that. Thanks so much, Annie. Thank you, Laura.